So if that happens, are we like men of pause? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Reclaimed audio, upcycling and making with reclaimed materials. Welcome to Reclaimed Audio. My name is Ben Ueda, and I'm joined by Phil Pinsky and Tim Sway. And I believe, I think, I don't know if it's their adopted stepchild, Billy, Billy something, (laughs) Billy Lutz, also known in very, very specific parts of the internet as Lutz. Oh, are we going to have him here this week, too? I thought we were going to take a week off from that. After we had two I'm, pre- I'm prepared this time. I knew you guys were going to give me a hard time. And so I decided that. So Ben, you ate a big deal, right? Homemade modern. Well, I'm going homemade old school. That's right. I'm going to show people how to spend 10 times as much as you should using more tools than you can afford and how to make complex designs you can't understand. So just take that, all three of you. <laughs> take it. Sounds like a recipe for success. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> Seriously, thank you very much, Ben, for being with us. Um, we're super excited to have you here. Oh, yeah, really excited. My my pleasure. Uh, I consume a lot of audio content. Uh, this one's in about the middle of the list, and uh, happy to be a part of it. <laughs> well, at least we're bringing it to the top of the list for one week. <laughs> Seriously, honestly, we've been talking about this amongst ourselves, Ben, for quite a while getting you on the show, and this is an absolute honor. I enjoy almost everything that you do. <laughs> well, the feelings, the feelings quite mutual. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think in particular, uh, I'm really excited to actually see a lot of podcasts coming about. Um, I think it's such a great supplement to the video content that's probably more common in our community. Mm. Uh, what I think is particularly great about uh, audio uh, uh, content is that you can multitask while you're doing it. I can't watch a series of 20 videos while I'm cleaning up my shop or sanding something. I can consume a couple hours of audio content while I'm actually performing the other more sort of mundane uh, parts of sort of making and the sort of maintenance of a, of a shop. So uh, I think this is a great way to sort of on those, those moments of sort of making where your brain is the least active, but it's still a necessary sort of tedious <laughs> step. You can actually sort of layer on the kind of uh, uh, the community part and also sort of an, adi- an additional educational part of, of making and designing. So we are technically the gum that you use when you go for a walk. Yeah, I was going to say more like like graduate school, but you know, you could say gum. I mean, I think that's way, way, way to elevate it. <laughs> that's why we brought him on. Um, okay, so speaking of mundane, I'll I'll go through the uh, the mundane portion of just the introduction real quick, and that is uh, this is episode forty four for September seventh, twenty sixteen. This week's top Patreon supporters are Luis Gonzalez, Make, Build, Modify, Stu Morrison, The Godfather, Jimmy DeResta, <laughs> Trustin Timber, Sean Petty, and Scott Turner. So uh, we normally do our little round round table here of uh, what we're working on. And since you're the guest of honor here, Ben, why don't you go first and let us know what you're working on. Well, I'm actually working on a, on a series of videos right now for Home Depot. And what I think is sort of interesting about these is... I've been uh, sort of in my discussions with them trying to say, 
don't just think about competing with the other big box retailers. Actually think about how do you compete with uh, places like Ikea or Target that are selling ready-made stuff. And one of the things that I was sort of thinking about when I think about sort of reclaimed and things like that, Ikea is always the part that kind of frustrates me in that argument. It's really hard to reclaim a particle board uh, mm. after it's gone through a semester of dorm life. Um, <laughs> so true. So what I'm sort of excited uh, about is sort of showing that furniture could come from a big box retailer for about the same price level, but you could make it out of either solid dimensional lumber or uh, plywood, something that's going to be a lot more substantial. Uh, introduce things like mechanical fasteners so that the parts can be taken apart, which is great for when you're moving heavy things up multiple flights of stairs and also allows it to sort of be uh, repurposed uh, later on, particularly if it's done in a modular fashion. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really smart. Yeah. Well, don't nobody okay. speak at once here. Right? So, uh, somebody else, uh, Billy, Billy Lutz. What do you, okay. What okay. Do you... Okay. I, I'm excited actually. Cause I am, I, I'm working on, so you guys know, Oh, Oh, did you see, did you see the video, the bench? Did you see it? No, I didn't see that. All right. Fine. I, well, I, I built something, killer, made a little video. Oh, you, oh, you made uh, something. I did after, I don't know how many years it's been, but yeah. So I made this little bench and it's for my um, um, my regaining of my youth strength room or the spare bedroom that I took the bed out and put a piece of exercise equipment in. Same thing. Mm -hmm. But I put a bench in there and I want to make a table to go with it because I have all this leftover pallet stuff that I took apart. And um, it's it's going to be fun. I got a really neat idea to make just a, a, a table to set down because the, the, it's also – it's a spare bedroom slash workout room slash – my closet where I try not to wake up Casey in the morning after, cause I get up way before she does. So I need to be able to go sit in there, sit, I mean, go in there, sit down, put on my socks and work boots and head out the door. So a table, that's what I'm working on, a table. All that to say, I'm going to make a table out of leftover pallet. I'm reclaiming a pallet reclaim. Ha! It's a lot of reclaiming. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that video. It was really, really great, Bill. Yes. It came out really well. Yeah. Aw, thank you. I can be we, nice sometimes. Tim, what are you working on? Well, I noticed that, Bill, you, you didn't wear my shirt in every scene, I noticed. Uh, but other than that, the video was good. I mean, Well, I didn't wear just one of your shirts in every scene. I split <laughs> every scene up between two of your shirts, yeah. It, it, it cracked me up that you... And my work shirt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just noticed that. Thank you very much. That was very kind. I don't have any of your shirts. Um, well, I, I have a Vance shirt, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could probably buy one, you know? <laughs> I gave Vance my money. Yeah, that, that was a, a wise choice. He spends it better than I do. So, right. uh, yeah. but um, yeah, I, I'm actually that's something I've been thinking about doing is all my shirts. When I made that print, um, they all all those shirts I've been wearing and they're just shot now. They're you know. So I was thinking about making another shirt, and I was trying to think of a new way to do a DIY screen print. Um, besides, I've already done two of them now. You know, so that's one thing I've been kind of mulling about. But what I've actually been physically working on is uh, I just put up a video of these uh, stools that I made that. Or part of a, a kitchen suite. There's a table, uh, like an island type of a table, more like a work surface, and uh, three chairs because they have like a built-in like bench seating that this table is going to. They need three additional chairs that are all kind of part of the suite. So I'm going to have another video that's going to follow up on that with the chairs. I just finished it all like today, and I'm going to install this week. So once I have the install footage, I'll be able to put that other video up. Uh, the pinball desk is basically done, uh, which I'm very happy to 
be at that point. I just got a few more touch-ups to do. And then I get to start some fun stuff I've been planning that'll be uh, coming up pretty soon. Sweet. So I, I do have some other work to do too that, you know, for like, you know, the bills, but, uh, but I'm, I'm taking a minute to, I have a, a fun thing that I want to make. So I, I quite enjoyed the uh, stool video. That was, um, kind of a neat deal. And I'm excited that you made the pinball desk. Are you going to video ties that one as well? You know, I didn't, I stopped video recording while I was making it because it was such a pain in the neck. There was so much just going back and forth and, and, uh, it was just so, it was just designing on the fly, sculpting. And, uh, you, you don't have just, to explain. How about sexy lingerie posing on the desk? That I was thinking about hiring Paul Jackman to do that. Um, oh, that would actually be good. He's local. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that would actually be really funny. Well, not to tie it into our future subject, but wouldn't that be copying uh, Kyle uh, Toth too much? With the- Ooh. Uh, well, there's kind of a there's kind of a not a real competition. See, this is where I, I and not to tie it into our subject too much, but this is where sometimes it's okay because Paul is like a local slut for the rest of us but <laughs> kyle is is worldwide and he's actually a professional so i don't think there's really a competition there <laughs> you know i actually got to meet paul uh paul jackman recently uh he's actually not too far from me yeah he's in, well, he's in he was even closer to you before but now he's in yeah. the island yeah he yeah, was I, at my shop once yeah i uh i hooked him up with my old uh x-carve when i got the new one. Oh yes nice. yeah mm. that's awesome Oh, what am I working on? All of you ask at the same time. I just—you're just assuming whiskey boxes. Uh, first of all, I'm flattered that you know that. Uh, you know he finished his Rubo bench, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> that was a little while ago. Yeah, um, I put out my—I uh, squeaked in my pallet upcycle challenge video last week. I, I so, saw uh, that, and that was a well done video. Um, I I feel like maybe the like the some of the stuff we discussed after your previous video that I, I re-edited, well, the, the entire internet re-edited. I felt yeah. like that video was very well put together, like the the length of it and the the amount of Thank time you. you spent on each step. That was a good job. I try to I try to absorb any lesson that's ever taught it, you know, thrown at me. So I, anyways, I tried. Um, try so that, that again in twenty years and let me know how it works. <laughs> I, I'm I'm trying to stay pretty regular with the videos, so. Keep the lessons coming, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, but other than that, it was my brother's wedding this weekend, so I didn't really get much stuff done. I'm just a little, maybe a teensy bit hungover. But uh, <laughs> but apart from that, I'm ready to rock and roll tonight. So congratulations um, to Brother Pinsky. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, she's uh, yeah, my brother's a good guy, but she's she's fantastic, and he's very lucky. Um, so that's what we're working on, and you know maybe. Uh, let's talk about it because Ben alluded to it, but what our topic is, is Tim's finger because he's pointing at me. Oh, What's I'm pointing, but before, I still want to saw one more minute before we get into the topic because I think a lot of people know Ben oh, right. from, yes, home, right. from his, his YouTube channel, Homemade Modern. Um, and some people might even know Ben from his fantastic TEDx talk he did. That was like a year or two ago, mm-hmm. which is where I first learned of you. Um, and that I, I was like amazed that we were actually kind of running in the same circle. I thought that was like so cool. I was like, oh my God, I know that guy. Um, but uh, so uh, besides all the awesome work you do, and you've already sort of explained a little bit about your, your mentality uh, with your projects you're working on with Home Depot, I would just love it if you could give a quick synopsis to our listeners to explain your background a little bit and why, uh, you, why you belong here more than us. <laughs> <in this podcast. laughs> yeah, so uh, my background's in architecture, particularly sustainable design. Uh, I uh, studied at Cornell and then I actually went on and was teaching some of the first courses that were taught in the architecture department there on sustainable design. 
And, you know, at the time it was a relatively new, uh, topic and there was, uh, most of the discourse around it was technologically focused. So it was about solar panels, geothermals, mm-hmm. about the technology, not so much about the theories, uh, and the more sort of the, the cultural ramifications of it as a, as a design, um, I wouldn't say philosophy, but as a motivation. Um, so from after uh, sort of teaching for a while, uh, I started an architecture firm called Zero Energy Design. Our, our main office is here in Boston, and we do really, really great work. Um, but like most sort of service-based designs, uh, as you become more successful, you start dealing with higher and higher end clients. Uh, it takes just as long to design a affordable house as it does a super expensive house. Uh, so you end up as you get more options for clients taking the wealthier and wealthier projects. So we got to the point where I was like, wow, we're really doing like very ecologically conscious homes that use less water, produce as much energy as they use, but we're kind of only making them for people that can spend multiple millions on uh, often a second home. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the equivalent of uh, like a hydrogen car, but it's like a Hummer Escalade stretch limo. Uh, <laughs> so the technology is really progressive, but the application isn't really accessible. Mm. Uh, and that's when I first started experimenting with how do I take what I do as a designer and transfer it to sort of media. So I don't have to charge people for it, but I can sort of adopt this other business model that isn't the business model of custom design or custom making, but it's the business model of broadcasting media. And since, you know, this internet thing is, has been happening uh, and there's a lot of other uh, sort of entities or businesses that can grow really rapidly and take advantage of this, this new connectivity, uh, I thought it made sense to sort of take a stab at actually spreading design on the internet and adopting different business models. And so that led to some, uh, some tech startups, uh, that did well and got, got acquired about, uh, about four years ago. And then, uh, when I, uh, when I sold that company, uh, I sort of had said, you know, well, what do I want to do next? And I sort of just took inventory of what, what were the, what were the parts of design that actually brought me, uh, the most joy. And those tended to be the parts where I was actually physically using my hands to build something. Um, and the, uh, the projects that actually reach and connected with lots of people. Um, so that's what uh, led me to start making uh, YouTube videos was really thinking of it as a, what is the most accessible form of media, uh, in the world and how do I spread design on that? And, uh, YouTube is, uh, the, I think of it as the sort of instruction manual for the world. Um, and mm. with all the sort of, uh, ugly, good and wonderful and creative and messy, uh, things that that sort of, uh, uh, suggests, you know, so I got to spend the last about two and a half to three years sort of, you know, dealing with trolls and silly comments and <laughs> amazingly inspirational videos and f- discovering communities like the one that, uh, we're all in. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that sort of leads me to today, where uh, I have the business model of a advertising agency and media publication company, um, but the day-to-day activities of someone that makes and designs and builds. Well, I, I got to tell you honestly, Ben, from just knowing your background, and I kind of knew a little bit anyway, um, but I I would be honored to jump hand in hand with you into a dumpster anytime. I'm just saying. <laughs> you say that to all the guests. 
<laughs> well, I actually, yeah, I, I did. I did spend uh, about almost a month living in an abandoned shipping yard in Red Hook, Brooklyn, uh, when I was a grad student. And it wasn't wow. quite in a dumpster, but it was in a sort of a, there's a bunch of abandoned shipping containers there. And there's all these urban homesteaders. And it was part of a, of a project we were doing with a, with a sort of documenting uh, sort of how, how architects could get involved with the sort of homeless situation. So I think that was probably one of my most intensive immersions with sort of reclaiming things. Wow. We were literally building shelters out of you know reclaimed box springs where all the mattress parts had fallen away and uh yeah i think it's i think it's still available on netflix or amazon or something uh but <laughs> we can put a link to it in the show notes yeah i wouldn't mind actually seeing that it sounds interesting there's a, a lot of people live that way in new york just even people that actually have homes i when i would be in there as a musician i would meet these other artists and musicians and stuff and they would talk about living in this like some like 4,000 square foot attic of some industrial building, but there's no heat in it. So they would like the one guy I remember was talking him and his roommates. They found all these old doors from the walls that used to exist in this space. And they built like a teepee out of these doors and they had a space heater in there and they would all have their sleeping bags. And so they, they had a 4,000 square foot loft in New York. Sounds like this extravagant lifestyle, but in the winter they lived in this like little 20 foot, like TP made out of old doors to stay warm, you know? Well, that's actually very similar to the origins of the canopy bed. And this was one of the favorite, my favorite stories that I always tell students when I, when I was teaching is I would say, what do you, what do you sort of associate with a canopy bed? And people would be like, oh, it's like a very fancy bed. It's like for princesses. Uh, it's this like high-end decorative thing. But it really is like had a very functional purpose. If you lived in a castle, high ceilings, giant stone buildings, yeah. it's really hard to heat a giant stone room. So canopy beds were in castles because it was easy to put like a little hopper full of coals within that bed. And so it was like a space within the space. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that was actually developed for a completely functional reason, how to have a small heated room with inside a big cold room, then, of course, people copy not the function of it, but just the sort of aesthetic of it and then associate it with the high end when really it was a high end functional thing, not a high end decorative thing. Next video on Homemade Modern, I want to see a blanket fort. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I want to see your take on the current blanket fort, the most eco-friendly blanket fort ever. <laughs> that has dual purposes. Yeah. Okay. And is aesthetically pleasing. Um, awesome. Thank you very much, Ben, for, for giving us a little bit of a background. So, Phil, do you want to take us into the... Yeah, sure. So, this, uh, this week's topic is called uh, the Xerox Paradox. And it's basically another one of these sort of uh, Facebook uh, topics that came to us through our friends in our community. Somebody, and I'll give it just a very, very quick rundown. Um, somebody had spent some time explaining to someone his technique on how he built a particular product. And at no point during this explanation was it, was it delivered to the person giving the advice that this would be a product that would be sold. So he just thought, one maker to the next, I'm going to really open up, you know, and give him all the secrets of how I make this very particular, very special thing that I make. So then at the end of the conversation, the guy's like, oh, cool, man, this has been great. Thank you so much. I'm going to go and sell this thing now. And and the guy who gave the advice kind of felt shafted a little bit because he's like, what are you doing? You're competing with me now on this thing that I opened the floodgates to you for? So this whole sort of debate started about, you know, copying, sharing, where, where are the lines drawn, you know, should we be copying? Should we be sharing? You know, so that kind of thing. And I, and I think there's, 
you know, as with any good debate topic, there's very, very large, broad pros and cons to both sides of this argument. I was going to say it's multifaceted. Yeah. Yes. And, it's and, like it's it's like a jewel of something. Yes. Yes. And, and <laughs> I was going to say something witty there, but then it escaped me. Tim. Uh, well, you know, Ben, you're the you're the perfect guest for this. It just worked out the timing of of us having you on because you, you just said in your sort of background speeches that's what you're in the business of now is is giving the ideas away and, and not the you know the product. So uh, we're just really curious of your thoughts on on that. Sure. Well, I think I think in all these discussions, and I, and I've listened to most of your podcasts, and uh, I think one of the important things to do, whether you're discussing the definitions of reclaimed, something like sustainability upcycling or copying is to really know the context about which you're talking about it. Same thing with what, what makes something art. Well, it depends on the context. So with copying, the way I sort of approach it is I think about it first, what am I doing, right? So I'll think about first, what is my ethic related to it? And then what, how does it relate to my business? And those are two totally different topics. So for example, when I think about it from the business model, uh, I think about uh, if I put stuff out there, people will respond to it and they'll often do derivative forms of that. That's the nature of the internet. That's especially the nature of me being a media publisher. I also know that my business isn't really in making and selling things like, like a lot of the other people in our, our community. So for me, copying means something very differently. So what I find really interesting when somebody, they're actually making their money on a media business model like me, they still react with a visceral sort of anger or, or upsetness when somebody's copying their thing and selling it. And I think that, you know, goes to actually not being really clear about what you're trying to do. Now, if you are sort of in the business of building things and making them uh, and, and selling them, then the copying becomes, uh, there's a very clear legal definition of it, right? And for that, I say, uh, the, and it's not that the legal thing defines everything, but it defines the point where you should stop worrying about it. Because what I find is that, well, my business is in media, right? So what happens all the time, how, how I get copied or sort of ripped off in media is somebody will download or, or, or rip one of my YouTube videos and post it as like a native Facebook video, right? Right. So that's, you know, when you see that, you're kind of like, oh, that's, and if they don't mention you, you're kind of like, that's not the most ethical thing. But I also know that trying to fight that battle is only going to detract from me. It's only going to hurt me. So I can, I can, I can uh, sort of flag it. I can do those things. I can ignore it. Um, or if I know that this type of thing is going to happen anyways, I can try to harness it and use it to my advantage. Uh, so what I've always thought is like, what are the parts of my business that are going to cause me the most stress and those are, in my case, sort of people stealing my videos or re-uploading them. So I immediately, after I sort of had the, my first video that that, uh, that really went viral, the sort of Lego and concrete thing, and I saw people sort of uploading it, I thought for the, for the spiral staircase one, which I had a good hunch was going to do well, I kept thinking, how do I actually take this tendency that I know is going to happen, that I know I can't fight, how do I use that for my advantage? Uh, how do I know, how do I make all those sort of Facebook uh, native posts of my uh, original content work for me? Um, and it's not to sort of uh, justify and excuse what they're doing, um, but I also know that from a legal standpoint, I can't sue them, 
it wouldn't worry worth the time. So as a person that's really just interested in progress and what's next, I sort of take a very sort of practical and functional approach to it. So that's the business. The, the, the business approach is very logical, methodical, don't get angry, uh, just you know, do what sort of makes the most sense to stay on target and keep moving forward. Now, the ethical part, whether about what sort of like moral or right or wrong with it, uh, is the more sort of the, the fun philosophical part to talk about. And this is absolutely subjective and it's going to be different for everybody. I tend to think when it actually comes to taking like, uh, and to, to be perfectly clear, like I've been, uh, I've been accused of, uh, uh, of copying other people's uh, stuff before. Um, I, you know, it's the nature of sort of a, of, of a world where you can look at 3000 Pinterest images in <laughs> 20 minutes. Uh, there's a lot of things that can be relatively similar. Uh, most of the times when people have sort of said those things, I said, well, then you must be thinking everybody's ripping off the aims because so much <laughs> furniture is sort of a derivative from that. But I think the point to take is to not get defensive, not think about, well, I did this and I did this. It's just to think, listen to their point. I'm confident in the sort of legality and of everything. And then the question that I want to sort of constantly be more uh, open to learning for and letting my opinions evolve over time would be, where do I feel comfortable ethically with it? How comfortable, you know, what for me is the difference between being inspired by somebody versus feeling like I'm actually doing derivative work off of what they did? Right. And for, for me, the sort of where I'm at today, where I sort of draw the line is, uh, I mean, I think, you know, buying someone's object and like physically tracing it seems to be like a, a little bit too far. <laughs> yeah, um, you think? <laughs> but when I see people, you know, remake their own videos of the bucket stool or the concrete pendant lamps or stuff, I'm like, I didn't patent those things. I put those out there and tried to get people to watch them. So if somebody else makes a version of it, they're not taking anything away from me. Uh, they're responding and reacting, and there's always going to be something different. I didn't invent any of the techniques or tools that I used. Um, when I do have something do I feel I invented uh, originally, you know what I do? I patent it, or I license the design to someone that will, um, so that I'm never in the situation where I have to feel like I got ripped off. Um, so I'd say it's two things, knowing your own ethic, and then when you uh, are interacting with other people, set up business practices and standards that protect you. So those are, so those are excellent, excellent points. And they're very sort of large and macro. And I think the, the argument that came about here, or not the argument, but let's say the discussion that came about here was more micro. And the IP that came about was really more about something physical or IP, the intellectual property, the, the ability, uh, the technique, the inspiration behind the piece that was being made was like I said, very micro. It was one craftsman talking to another, let's say, journeyman, you know, and, and sort of letting him know how to do something that would otherwise be pretty closed door and letting him know on good faith, you know, this is what you do. This is how I got around this challenge. Most people would know how to do this, but I'm giving you a leg up on this, thinking that he was just, you know, teaching somebody how to do something for their own personal you know, usage or to make for a present for a wife or whatever, then the guy takes it and then turns it into a livelihood. And in, in so doing is competing with the original guy. Mm -hmm. So 
I think that's where the ethics are very, very clear cut. And it's, as you said, when you first started talking, you know, it's very different when you're talking about media versus something right. that's a physical, you know, uh, you know, a physical object that's being built, you know, it's like a, a cobbler versus how to make shoes, you know, like mm-hmm. one specific said it. I, know, I don't know. I used cobbler in the last podcast as an example. I don't know why I've you cobbler on the did. Yeah. I did. Eh? Well, I let's, let's take that, that example, uh, you know, and think about the factors that would change how we thought about it. I mean, I think we would think uh, differently of it if they lived in the same town versus if they lived 3,000 miles apart. Absolutely. Uh, it's also the, you know, the responsibility. I mean, certainly the way you're sort of portraying the story does sound like someone sort of took advantage of the other person. They took advantage of their intellectual generosity and mm-hmm. sort of did that. But there's some people that I meet in the context of business where they're, they're just scrappy. They're just scrappy MFers and they're just always going after it. <laughs> and that's, that's a reality of any single business. I don't care whether or not you're a cupcake shop and like someone else is going to be stealing your frosting recipe. And they, they may not even see it as stealing. They may think that it's like the friendliest, happiest competition. Uh, I have friends that I've, you know, sort of competed in sports and stuff with. And the minute there's anything that they associate with being fair game and competition, they can be ruthless and way more aggressive than what I would find ethical. Um, so it certainly seems like in this case, if we were being Judge Judy, uh, we, we would sort of lean on the side of the guy that sort of helped the other guy. And it certainly sounds that this wasn't a very ethical case. But I would say in terms of responsibility, it's it's all, you know, being clear about what the expectations of these kind of conversations, uh, you know, is, is, is a necessity. Um, mm-hmm. so you're, you're essentially saying that, that he, the guy who gave up the secrets should have asked ahead of time, what are you going to be doing with this? I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not putting any sort of blame or onus on him on what happened, but I would say that anytime you talk about something, anytime you're sharing something that's valuable, you should know what kind of relationship you're in and know who that person is. And I, it's funny. I've, I've, I've actually seen this happen with a couple of woodworkers with an apprentice and, uh, uh, sort of a more experienced woodworker. And I could see it from both standpoints. Cause I knew the younger guy that sort of took the idea. He's super entrepreneurial and he's just like, Oh, I want to do this. And he looked at the older guys like, you're not doing it right. You're missing all these business opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that you sort of say the, that you called it the, the sort of Xerox paradox because pretty much Apple, which I'm pretty sure there's some of its technology involved with this, with the creation of this podcast, wasn't it based on literally like taking something that Xerox didn't fully value, but they completely created in yeah. the, the graphic it, interface and then built it was the Palo Alto Research Center. And <laughs> right. They, and then, they had invented the mouse and the, and the GUI. And then Apple went in there under the guise of some kind of, corporate joint venture or something and then just left with the with the treasure of this right almost exactly the same story that this whole podcast is about now that you mention it yeah yeah and act under good faith and then the other person just took it and ran let me ask you something bill you know having heard this story on facebook and now hearing ben's take on it if somebody came to you in a similar situation asking you how to do something that was fairly proprietary something that you'd spent a long time developing how quick would you be to share it well, let's see, and that's I was going to kind of give um, my my two cents on both the guy that was getting uh, the information and the guy that was giving it for me. If I was the guy giving the or getting the information, uh, coming to you, Phil, to, you know, give me some whiskey box pointers. 
Um, in my mind, it may be because I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And I think it goes along with what Ben was saying about some people are just scrappy MFers. In my mind, it may be like, I don't think you're going to mind that I'm going to make whiskey, uh, whiskey boxes and sell them on Etsy. It's just, mm-hmm. why would you even care? So that point of perspective that I may have may not be unethical, even though to most other people, it's kind of like a, a, the whole view on art and craft, right? It's perspective. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, if somebody came up to me and asked me for information on something it had taken me, um, give it. Here you go, man. This is how I do it. Enjoy this. I don't think unless I'm at a craft fair selling beer totes and I just explain to my buddy how I do this exactly and then he shows up next to me at the craft fair, I would be upset. But if he's on the other side of the craft fair, I don't really care. I just – I can't see it in this particular example – um, the, the situation that came up on Facebook. I think everybody's okay. I don't think anybody's really going to get hurt financially by it. I don't think. Um, I think karma will get the guy that that kind of s- took advantage. If that's indeed what he did, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, and I think the guy that gave the information. I don't want him to shy away from sharing. And that's. I think that's the one thing I told him was, that, don't stop doing what you do, man. If if it happens, that's on them, and they're gonna they're gonna reap the rewards of their bad deeds. You know, if that's what was really going on, you are going to reap the rewards of your good deeds by sharing on top of the the quality and the and the amazing things that you make. Of which I'm looking at a piece that he sent to me. So I'm biased a little bit because he made a big oh, old loot sign. You. He made a big old loot sign long before this episode was thought of, I might add, just because. Uh-huh. And I mean, it's that kind of sharing. And and then he told me what he did and how, I mean, there's some techniques that he has that and I wouldn't have thought of. Bill is making him a for half the price. I know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> see, door. I am 3,000 miles away. So, <laughs> But the internet makes you right next to him. Yeah. At that you're, same on, craft On fair. Etsy, you're, you're right well, next to him. Okay. And there's also the reality of it, too. The reality of it is, is that he's a big man. And 3,000 miles away or not, I'm not pissing him off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things that if I saw it happening to a friend, it would probably upset me more than if it happened to me. Uh, because, And I think that's actually a good mentality to have. Like, my sister is starting her YouTube channel. So if I saw someone take one of her ideas and, and rip it off, I would probably react with a little bit more anger. But what I've learned over, over time in, in, in all sort of businesses is that when, when something happens to you like that, so I'll give you an example. Uh, the other day, uh, Lowe's, or about a month ago, Lowe's published a, a complete uh, uh, not copy, but well, they published a 360 video on a, on a concrete bucket stool. That was like, even, <laughs> even down to the way they painted the legs was in remarkably similar to, to some I'm, things I, I've previously done. I'm, I'm going to allow it. You yeah. can use the word copy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now, you know, they're sort of, uh, you know, hiring, uh, they hired a really expensive video production agency. They did an incredible video. They used a 360 technology in a way that I hadn't seen before. Um, and Yes, the, the, my first reaction, completely honest, it was like I felt like, you know, that sort of thing that hits your stomach and you're just kind of like, you know, there's, there, you feel an emotional reaction coming in. But there's absolutely nothing about indulging that reaction that helps me with anything. And so it's, it's over time, it's like learning how to, how do you take this as a compliment? How do you take this as like a sign that you're actually 
doing things. And then even beyond that, how do I take this to my brands and sponsors being like, this is how good my original content is. This is a sign of validation that this company probably spent close to $100,000 in production off of my creative ideas. That's because my creative ideas is really valuable. And when you sign contracts with me, you should pay me as such. Hmm. What a great way to spend that. Good for you. Wow. Do do you offer like business courses? (laughs) No, but I like, but I like talking about business in the context of creativity because Mm -hmm. I think what, uh, you know, when when I think of all my friends from design school, uh, I think of so many talented designers and so few opportunities to sort of do work, uh, autonomously. And I know they all could be doing amazing things if they had the opportunity. And unfortunately, uh, we don't have like a really, the, the national endowment for the arts, uh, isn't that well endowed. Um, and, <laughs> that was great. and, uh, you know, things like Kickstarter, I believe, uh, I believe I saw an article saying that Kickstarter actually funded more projects than the, the national endowments of the arts. Mm. Google that. Don't quote me on that. Um, so I think that the business part is, 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 is it has to be part of the creative part because it's what sort of allows us to get better opportunities to practice the part that we really like. Uh, so it's the scaffolding. Yeah. It's, it's just like safety or anything, any other sort of ancillary concern. It's a necessity to actually making us better. If we have better business, we get better creative opportunities. We get better tools. Uh, we reach more people, more inbound opportunities, better collaborative partners, and so on. Hmm. Interesting. So, Tim, we haven't heard a lot from you. Yeah. Um, well, it's a perfect segue because I'm a I'm a guy that that uh, you know maybe I'm on the on the verge of that. Like I'm I'm not dumb. Like <laughs> like I'm not like a, a stupid person, but I'm not really very money driven. Uh, I never really have been. It's never been my concern. But, you know, so what that's meant is that as, as a lifetime of being a, a creator in, in some capacity or another, I've gotten walked all over. I mean, more times right. than if I had, if I had a nickel for every dollar I was promised, I'd be a bazillionaire already, you know? So, but so when it comes to this topic, um, when I first started making these, these videos and you know, I showed my wife, I'm like, Hey, look at this video I made of this thing I just did. And, and she was like, well, why are you doing that? You're showing everybody how to do it. So they don't need to hire you. My, you know, my initial thing, as I've said, was to attract customers. And I realized that the, the customers aren't watching. It's the people that actually do this stuff. But I kept doing it anyways because I think that I reached this point in my life where I understood that I was not going to be here forever. And so if I have an idea that's worth keeping, why take it to my grave? Uh, I share the idea. Like some someone comes up with some, some great design, some great idea, and then nobody else ever gets it. And they, they get filthy rich off it and they die and then nobody can ever recreate it. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, I just feel, I feel like that there's a bigger thing than my own personal wealth. But that said, I have a kid in college right now, so I need to start wising up a little bit about putting value into the work mm. that I do and into my ideas. And so I'm trying to be a little more open-minded about it and not feel, like, dirty 
about yeah. adding money to the creative process? Well, I think we've like uh, I think value is the critical term, right? If you think about business, <laughs> you think about business as being like this Scrooge McDuck kind of process of like stacking gold coins that you can swim in later. Then yeah, it sounds pretty ugly a process. But if you think about it as like how do I add value while respecting my most precious resource, which is time, and it's about how do I actually be prolific. So when I think about business, I don't think about it in terms of dollars or cents or about maximizing the amount of money I make per video. I actually think the opposite approach is, is important. What I think is, is I think, what is like my greatest strength? And for me, I think it's like coming up with new, sketching out new design ideas and really thinking of like a nice sort of modern aesthetic outcome. I'm not, I can't do dovetail joints. I'm really bad at anything that's sort of right angle. That's why I like stack plywood, not because I think it looks cool because it's easier. Um, <laughs> So what I think, what I try to do is how do I take the thing that I'm best at and then be build a situation where my business model lets me be incredibly prolific at that thing. Because whatever, you know, I don't want to try to take night courses and some MBA program to learn like better accounting practices and how to save pennies here and then manage this money. What I want to think. Or do you want to learn how to make perfect dovetails? Right. No, I don't want to do that either. I want to take it's like for me, the good business sense is how to take the thing that I both enjoy and that separates me the most from other people and then build a structure that is just amplifying that one thing. How do I just pump, you know, gallons of Red Bull and Monster into that sort of vein that's just going to blow up that one thing? Um, yeah. And I think, I think you're, you're, you actually are on those good practices. I mean, you're very specific, not that you would never use the term branded, uh, branding. Uh, probably. Oh, no, I, I, ethical, I would. But, but you, would, you, you yeah. talk consistently about things that matter to you so that other people that are searching on the internet for, that, that have the same ethic and same care are going to find you, right? So that sort of consistency and not just sort of jumping all over the place and oh, I'm going to do this one day and this one day, yeah. but to have that sort of through line of, of sort of reclaimed what are the ethics of sort of sourcing things, uh, whether and not just the materials that you use, but the tools also? I think that is actually a really smart practice because, again, it's about sort of how do you stand versus the rest of the world and the rest of the community? And then how do you build an identity that's unique so that you can't be underbid because there's only one Tim Sway? Wow. Yeah, I mean that that is, you know, uh when I started the business cuz I was, you know, playing music and I was making stuff and I was using reclaimed partly out of environmental concern but also because it was cheap, you know, and free and and all that stuff, you know, and you, you don't want to mess up expensive stuff and I but um I when I was building my business, I was starting to get clients. Um I had a client that was not into reclaimed and uh, I made a piece like this first piece I made for him. It was like, I use reclaimed, but that wasn't what it was about. And, this and, that. and then it was another piece I made and it started getting to where I was buying new material to make stuff for this guy. And uh, after the last piece I made, I was like, this, this isn't me. Like it didn't feel right. And that's like that again, the ethic versus, and, uh, and I had, a, I've had a couple other times too, where I've just been like, no, I'm, I'm not the guy that can do that. It's like, I don't really want to. And, and it's not just the, the, because for me, it's not like I, I do. I understand that I'm branding. So I put my yellow truck everywhere I can with my name on it. You know, that's like I understand branding. Um, but it's like even if I'm not putting the camera on, I still want to be consistent with my message, like even off camera and off the Internet, because I feel like that's important. Like that's that's where it's real. You know, and see, that's what I wanted to say that I've noticed about you in specific, Tim. Um, 
I haven't seen you really change since I first started, as far as your YouTube and your videos and stuff go. Um, there's better. been no real, there's been, <laughs> there's, there's, there's been no real change in Tim Sway. The only difference is, is you started off saying the message and the message now is the same. You're just speaking louder and you're, you've got better equipment and you're getting it out there to more people. But you as a, as a maker, as what you are trying to say and do is the same thing as it was when I started, you know, stalking you in front of your house four years ago. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And, and to get back to topic, though, um, real quick, <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> but, um, to, you know, I, I, I put these videos out. Like, I had the one, I had those guitar stands. I'm, I know Bill knows what I'm talking about. And uh, where I actually, <laughs> I designed them and I put the, the, the plans up on my website for free. You can give me a dollar if you want, you know. Um, because it was like that, it was that idea of like, well, let's, here's a product that exists that I think we can make something better and new, like, and let's do it together. And it's not about necessarily making much money. And, uh, Jason McGinn, I think it was in uh, Canada, he watched it and he commented in the video, he wrote to me privately. He's like, Hey, that's really cool. Do you mind if I make those and sell them at craft fairs? And I was like, that's the point. Like, absolutely go make those. And I'm not going to sell them at craft fairs and northern canada go for it you know um but it was really cool like he asked and he was upfront about it i don't know if i don't know if you ever did or not jason you have to let me know but um and if you sold them because i haven't sold too many <laughs> but uh, but the now but the where the topic came from the the two people they weren't upfront about it like, i don't think they fully like you know we were discussing like understood each other maybe it's because one of them was the mf shark that you know was just he just assumed everybody thought that way right. you know um but yeah so that's it's just a new age with communicating in all these different ways and learning how to read people. Phil, as, as the Canadian, you know, coming from a, a less capitalistic sort of kinder, gentler <laughs> country, uh, you know, uh, how would you feel, uh, as particularly because you do sort of sell things and you sell things online, like how would you feel if like you saw like an Etsy post that started showing up in your suggested sort of Facebook uh, a feed that was making whiskey boxes that look uh, remarkably similar to you. How would you feel and what would you do about it? Um, people have approached me to ask me how I do certain things, but I've made YouTube videos on how to make the exact product that I make. Um, so far, no one's competed with me, but if it became a problem, I would move on. I think that what you what you lose as far as being private and keeping these things proprietary is much more than you know than what you would gain you know you'd gain much more than what you'd lose by having to not uh, share this information so I believe that I have gained tremendously from YouTube and the internet and the information that I've learned I mean everything I know about making I've learned online like there's no school that I went to to figure out how to use a table saw and to put things together. That's It's entirely, you know, YouTube university. So I feel incredibly grateful. And it's not just because of where I'm from. Canadians are also pretty bloodthirsty when it comes to business. But, um, you know, we're just, I guess, kinder to the poor. I don't know. But, uh, but, but to ask you viscerally, you know, just immediately knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, I'd be pissed. I would be I'd be very upset, especially if it were somebody who came to me under the guise of asking for information in a very cavalier way. You know, then I would be upset. But as you said, that's the that's the knee jerk, that's the emotional response. But the business response is is a do I make them better? Do I have enough of a critical following that it doesn't matter? Uh, then just keep on keeping on. 
And if the guy really took over or the girl took over what it is that I'm doing and really stole all of my thunder on it, well, guess what? Time to, you know, come up with another idea and make something else. You got to move on. What about what about the idea that there's no original ideas? There's no copying because you can't you can't continue to search back in time and uh, what's on record. To sh- I, I mean, the, the Magnificent Seven is a new movie coming out, right? That's how long has that been around? You know, it, that's are there original kid, ideas? ideas? Well, actually, the the t- podcasting itself has been patented, and you guys are technically. If you, if your audience keeps growing at this astronomical rate, you'll eventually get sued <laughs> by the patent trolls that tried to sue the other big podcasters, right? So there, and this is why I think it's so important to know both where you stand sort of legally and also where you stand sort of ethically, ethically, so you can be comfortable with yourself and the people whose opinion, your peers that you care about, and then legally, so you know uh, that you're in a sort of a defensible position. Uh, so there's people that have sued podcasts, any podcasts of significant size, because they said that they have the patent on posting media in a list on the internet. Now, mm, should that patent sense. really? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, no, of course not. It's a sad state of copyright affairs in the United States. Right. Well, the, the internet patent trolling is, is horrible. It's, it, there's just like these, all the, the, the technical stuff, as well as the, the surface stuff, there's people that have just patented every potential variation of everything. And they sometimes it's just, it's extortion. Right. right. Just squatters. Yeah. On innovation. Yeah. Right. So like my sort of philosophy on these things is, uh, and when I sort of, uh, you know, every once in a while I'll invest in either tech companies or some physical product companies. And whenever I deal with one of these startups and the, the, the subject matter of IP comes up, I'll be like, well, you should do one of two things, either patent the crap out of it and lock it down and protect it. Or if you're not going to do it, don't worry about it and just go as fast as possible yeah. so that other people can't keep up with you. Yeah. Um, and just and for creatives that are doing things like whiskey boxes or things like that, <laughs> you, ta- you take that fear of whatever fear you might have of being copied and you use it as fuel to do 10 new versions of a whis- whiskey box. Oh, you're like, oh, I've seen somebody stain them all in ebony. Okay, I'm experimenting with that. And you just make sure you're developing some of your time for R&D so that you're doing the next thing so that you're always going faster. And then let somebody else like get your sloppy seconds and just follow behind you and copy what you've already done a long time ago. I think Love that's it. the most significant thing we've ever heard on this podcast. That's Absolutely. awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, uh, there, this Can reminds I me of... Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I already contacted my lawyer before you yeah. said that. So, um, sitting on that patent for yeah. twenty years. Uh, Joel Joel Crawford uh, recently had that. He makes the Spartan knife holder, yeah. knife block mm. holder, and uh, now they're being made. Someone's making them in China at some factory and selling them at you know crap stores for out of crap materials. You know, and uh, you know there was that whole conversation we just had a few weeks ago on the internet and. Uh, that flattery thing, but then there's also the business. So like my response to him was exactly that. It was like, well, you're the guy that thought that up, you know, think the next thing up They they can't think the next thing up. It's time to move on now. And that's kind of how I see it. Absolutely. Uh, Duress is another great version of that or example of that. He, he's like, you know what? I'm going to make this. I'm going to put my name on every square inch of it and I'm going to put it out there and everybody can copy it, but it doesn't matter because everyone's going to know I made it. It's, it's so brilliant. And, and, you know, I think that's, he, he's intuitively, you know what what I like about him so much is that he 
I, I doubt he ever took one of those, like clicked on one of those links of like five ways to be a better digital marketer, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> but he came to a lot of the same conclusions without following those douchey links, right? Like mm-hmm. he sort of came to it about the same sort of way that he approached that. He's like, well, people are going to copy this. This is who I am. This is the most elemental version for it. Uh, I probably don't like editing a lot of graphics into the video. So the clear, most logical reaction to that thinking is to spray paint my name over everything. <laughs> and if you could find an actual very sort of textbook case about why that's a good sort of marketing and branding practices in the digital age, he didn't do it through this sort of digital speak. He did it through a very sort of just clear design, logical process that he doesn't just apply to his work, which is obviously brilliant, but it also applied in this case to a business thing. Um, so I'm sure he probably wouldn't call himself like this sort of expert business person. But in that particular case, he took the same line of thinking that makes him excellent at one thing. And it may, it's, a, it's a pretty smart sort of business tactic as well. Let me, let me just butt in here real quick with a little Jimmy story. So at Last Maker Fair, I had the honor of giving Jimmy a ride along with four other people in my Kia Soul from Maker Fair to the pizza place. Anyway, I'm not going to say whether or not Jimmy has a can of spray paint and stencils on him at all times to in whatever city town he's in that maybe his name will show up. But this is the brilliant part about that. Well, two brilliant parts. One of them is he forgot his somebody, me, had an extra stencil and some spray paint that I gave to the man himself, of himself, his name. I get Anyway, that's beside the point. The brilliant part of that is, is while at Maker Fair on three different occasions, now granted there's hundreds of thousands of people there. Other people are walking around spray painting Jimmy Duress's name on things. I mean, that's how brilliant that is. You know what I mean? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole subculture of people wanting to do it for him even. Like he's, yeah. he has followers that spread his name, you know, wearing the T-shirts or, or actually buying stencils. and, and Those and are called brand ambassadors. It, now, well, it, it, I will say this though, and, and, and again, I've met Jimmy a few times. Oh my gosh, what an amazing – just a person. He's just a good guy. Although when I got the tickets for all the spray painting I was doing, he didn't bother to pay for them. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, I think that brings up another sort of type of copying uh, that uh, that I think is probably pretty germane to, to what we're talking about. Would that would be the sort of copying of sort of like YouTube style and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, good point. And I mean, I think uh, I don't think of it as probably copying because I think it's. Uh, people sort of actually just genuinely learning from the people they admire the most. Um, but when, when I first sort of approached YouTube and I, I was thinking early on of this was going to be a business, it was going to be sort of a fun, a fun business thing that I did after uh, the sort of stress of my last company. And, you know, I, so I read all the sort of things about uh, what are the best ways to grow and start a YouTube channel, read all those things. I was like, they all sound pretty generic post the same time all the time intros outros you know really hammered you know talk at the end so for your subscribers so that they actually see your face so that you don't just hear a voiceover mm, good uh, advice let me write this down yeah, and then i sort of thought about those things and i'm like well some of those i don't mind doing the rest of those sound like torture murder horrible <laughs> they're gonna slow me down yeah. and then i sort of said well you know if and also if those are the sort of things if that's the commonly known best practices, then everyone's copying and doing those things. And so I sort of said, well, what's, what's the fastest and easiest way that I can 
pull an idea out of my head and get it into an accessible type of media that other people can see. And it was, you know, speeding things up, really wide shots. Uh, I do much probably like wider shots than I think probably uh, most YouTubers. And that's just because I'm lazy and I like editing less. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and I think whatever, you know, whatever time you take to copy is going to be less well spent than taking that time to figure out where you can be the most prolific with your individual skill sets. Mm. Um, because we also know that with internet content, it's a volume game. Having three videos is, that are all sort of indexed around the same subject matter is probably better than having one. So and You're really good at that too about the, the length. Having three four-minute videos is way better than having one 12-minute video. Yeah. You're really good at that. I, want, I mean because it's just I – I think the longest video ever made was five minutes long. Well, I think, I think someday soon – You'll start to see. It's funny. You'll hear YouTubers talk about the sort of migration to television, but I think that the 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 real question will be eventually is how do people doing short format video, which is what most of us do, sort of like under fifteen minutes or so, how do we how do we migrate without uh, uh, losing audience to longer format video? And I think that's really the the question that still remains to be figured out well and consistently. Um, is how do we create sort of uh, things that because the the audience expectations at half an hour are totally different than they are at four minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be in the future means people are on Netflix and Hulu as opposed to you know YouTube, but that'll be the 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 the, the next sort of wave and offer new opportunities for sort of really going deep and sharing and teaching. I have some ideas. We'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so we're running a little bit long on time, um, but uh, let's launch into what we're watching. Tim, you want to tell us who you're watching this week? Uh, yeah, sure, I will. Um, Thank I, you. I, <laughs> uh, I wanted to mention uh, a relatively young YouTube channel uh, as Andrew Jones. Uh, he has made a couple videos that I've just seen recently. Uh, one. The most recent one I saw was his uh, reclaimed wooden resin LED lamp. And he's doing this like the hand tool thing. This guy hogs out so much wood with just like a chisel. Uh, I was just, it was just so impressive to watch this. And uh, But then using like some modern LED lights and stuff. Just really neat. It was like a nice mix of the modern and uh, and just like old school like hand tool woodworking stuff. And very well filmed videos. I really enjoyed them. So it's, uh, Andrew Jones, uh, AJ, is his little icon. Very cool. Bill? Um, so let me do some shout outs really fast because I know we're running long. Um, Sterling Davis gave us a shout out in a little quick video to say thank you to Reclaimed Audio um, because we talk about him all the time, I guess. I don't know. But Ooh. anyway, Sterling, we love you. We just I do. I don't know who you're talking about. But... He's some guy from the some your neck of the woods. He has an accent. That's all I know. He's big. He's a big man. He's a anyway, big, um, big teddy bear. Big teddy bear, I yes. So and and then because you know I'm a I'm the fanboy and the ultimate stalker and of the four that I started with five actually because I'll include Izzy but this isn't about Izzy it's about making it their podcast last Fridays I listened to it and I found out things about each of Jimmy Bob and Dave that I didn't know before. Um, Jimmy and I are uh, two months apart in age. I'm a little bit older than he is. And he said something that was so relevant to me. When I try and pick up a sheet of plywood, I've gotten older, but the plywood still weighs 70 pounds. And you pick it up like this, you just don't have the strength left. 
I know. I know. I know. Oh. So and and I didn't know that Bob has anxiety about the future in in regards to his kids. Like worried so much about how they're going to grow up and to be good people that he's like threatening their lives now. So I just thought that was pretty insightful. I, I learned um, that David Picciuto hates children. I mean, that was the clear takeaway. Right? And that's why I love him. I love David because he and I both have a loathing for small people. Um, and we also five, have some seven, cool tattoos. Well, you, you just missed the mark. I'm going – Casey's 5'4", so anything under 5'4". Okay. But, um, but David has a really super cool Dr. Seuss uh, retired Thunderbird tattoo. And I didn't know that was Dr. Seuss. And I – now I'm excited to see David's naked arm. I, I don't know why that is. Um, I also want to say real quick, John Berard, our buddy at MakerCast, another podcast that we're, I'm just trying to throw out love to all the podcasts, uh, his big giveaway, Mark Schaefermeyer won. And I got to meet Mark and his wife. They are from so Utah. Jealous. and I, uh, Yeah, it's just a bunch of amazing stuff in there. So congrats, Mark. Thank you, John. Uh, Rod Reyes hurt his thumb pretty badly, and he survived just to throw it back on. <laughs> Yeah, so just a little off the top. Is that how that works? Or no, circumcised? just the tip. The he knows tip. what I'm talking about, right? I, I, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, good for him. Um, and then last one, Marcus no, Hoffman is just, just a friend and a supporter. He's the guy that actually made it for us just because he loves us. He made our reclaimed audio stickers. Um, the round ones and Marcus, we love you. He's going to be traveling through California and he's going to come have a sleepover at my house on, uh, uh, this, uh, coming soon Sunday. So, uh, Marcus, I'm excited and scared, but that's okay. I do that to people too. And then last of all, my, the guy I've been watching STM custom woodworking. I've heard so much about him, uh, in the group and online and everybody and our buddy Eloy just mentioned him on an interview he did. And uh, Tim Sway might have even said something. Well, actually, I don't know if Tim did or not. He just was pointing to himself. So I assume that's what you meant. Uh, he was uh, SDM Custom Woodworking. Yeah. Uh, his latest video was making a... <laughs> One at a time, boys. Uh, where was, uh, he made a Chevy tailgate bench is his latest video. And he does, he runs the gambit, everything from a, a cassette tape, coffee table. He makes guitars, Tim, um, He's even made pool tables and different types of artsy stuff. I just check out SDM Custom Woodworking, and uh, I'm done now. Okay, great. Uh, let me just casually uh, bring it over to uh, my new best friend, Ben. Uh, ben, <laughs> what are you watching these days? Uh, a few things. I think we actually have an overlap of our recommendations. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, one of the guys I've been following a lot lately, who I've, I've had a little bit of uh, interaction with, is a guy named Mike uh, Montgomery, and his channel's called Modern Builds. Real young kid, I think from somewhere in the south. Um, I, he came across my attention because he also works with concrete in addition to wood and does sort of modern stuff. Um, just incredibly enthusiastic, as like, uh, pr like very good design aesthetic. And he just did this really cool concrete lamp where he, he made it almost more like a chandelier size but still figured out how to keep the weight down and uh what i like about his ideas is that they're the they're well sort of conceived and that there's they're just a few simple gestures but the end aesthetic is really nice so that they're simple enough for people to copy or <laughs> build an inspired version from and then uh uh but also at the same time uh you know not overly sort of uh but they, they haven't they haven't 
an aesthetic that's worth building. Um, so you don't feel like I just built this for the sake of building it. I added value to my home because I built this thing that's really cool. So Mike Montgomery. And uh, the other one isn't a YouTube video. And I'm not sh- terribly sure about pronouncing his last name. But uh, his name's Sebastian Iratzuriz. And he does, I think, the most incredible furniture. He does things that look like these sort of like waves of like wood. Um, so Sebastian, E-R-R-A-Z-U-R-I-Z. If you just put in uh, Sebastian furniture, eventually you'll find him. But it's, his stuff is incredible um, and was part of the sort of inspiration for the, the spiral staircase I did. Oh. Wow, very cool. You can actually find that link um, at reclaimedaudiopodcast.com in the uh, in the show notes. So you don't have to look for Wait a minute, Ben, episodes. you made the spiral staircase. I did. Oh, do tell. Oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's cool. You should have made a video to go with it. I did, and uh, that video's gotten about 1/20th of the views that the sort of other Facebook videos from Business Insider did. So, <laughs> I think we're at like <laughs> I think the Facebook Insider videos at like 8 million views and the YouTube's at like you know, two hundred and fifty thousand, which is awesome. But I was like, damn, not that well, bitter, it, but <laughs> you can't be mad. You have to figure out a way to nope. harness it. Hey, Jay, just make ten more amazing spiral staircases. Move on. Exactly. 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 Or spray paint your name all over it next time you make it. <laughs> That'd be so copying. That it. that would be copying too much. <laughs> um, my uh, my reco this week is um, his name is. Uh, it's kind of, kind of a strange name. Kirby Meets Audio. So it's basically a guy who makes speakers, but super simple, really, really easy designs, and he shows you how to do it. The cool thing that I like about this guy is that he's basically got a garage, but it's a workshop completely designed to make this one product, which is sort of what struck me immediately because I'm sort of like a one-hit wonder when it comes to that. I make one product, and I also have set up some jigs that let me just – run and gun and and make a box pretty quickly and but he's done that with speakers so you know he know if he's making a big one he pulls out like this cardboard uh template that has like the center punch holes for where he should be doing his uh you know his his holes and all that kind of stuff so i just thought that was really cool and i probably want to do a speaker build out of reclaimed uh coming up in the next little bit so he had some really really good information about how to do things and i actually was going back and forth and i gave him a couple of tips so that was fun so they're sharing for you. And nice. uh, that's that's my Kirby meets audio. And uh, after that, I guess I guess we're pretty well done. We can plug our stuff. Um, on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, I am Phil Pinsky. Uh, Bill Lutz, who are you again? Uh, uh, you know, I, I need to say again because um, Justin Sparks made my webpage and he added you two as links on my webpage, which is awesome. Sweet. <laughs> WilliamLutz.com, yes. the thing, and uh, also Casey's uh, Manifest's website. So how great is that? And for Ben's sister, I am I am going to say, but not out loud, that I would like to share my wife's information <laughs> by saying it's on <laughs> uh, WilliamLutz.com. There's a link to my wife's salon. So that's how I am not copying her or I'm sharing. I'm not saying that other word. Uh, why are you being so careful about the way you're saying it? Did you say it differently a previous time? You know, it's not really important that we actually listen to you, Phil. It's it's more important <laughs> that um, we um, acknowledge you exist. Right. He's, he's not trying to plug his wife. He's trying to share her. 
Right. <laughs> you are my absolute hero, Ben. You just are. Tim, go ahead. <laughs> you, can, you can find me at williamlutz.com. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, Ben, you want to plug your stuff? Um, <laughs> lately, Instagram's the the platform I've been focusing the most on. Um, I normally will tease a project before it's up on YouTube, and often even post like the fifteen to thirty second uh, videos there. And I think with the new uh, updates that allow you to sort of do the sort of disposable Snapchat style feed. Um, I'm doing most of my sort of daily sort of, you know, what I'm up to sort of blogging, uh, there. Um, and then the one other thing that I would suggest is like sort of a smaller known platform, uh, called stellar, which allows you to make little eBooks. And I would highly recommend it for people that want to sort of share content, um, but are a little bit hesitant for video because of the editing burden. And what it does is you can actually add video in it, but you can add it in sort of like an ebook chapterized way. So you can make like a short video of each step and then rather than edit it all into one video, upload it into this little ebook. So it's called Stellar. It's beautiful. Um, I think I'm Ben Ueda on Stellar. You can see some of the ways I've used it for some projects. And the, the reason why I bring this up is that there's a lot in our sort of community focused on YouTube, but there's so many other platforms. And if you look at any sort of sizable sort of makers demographic uh, in YouTube, you tend, especially in our community, I would say you're probably going to see like a 70, 30% sort of gender split, men versus women. Um, And so there's all these other awesome platforms out there to sort of bring people, not just to your work, but also again, to your YouTube channel, potentially things like Stellar, Instagram, uh, Pinterest is, is, is an amazing resource and tool. Um, it really, if you take the time to sort of really stage your, your, your projects, no matter what they are, whiskey boxes, furniture stuff, um, musical instruments, it just gives you a whole nother, uh, searchable interface to have people discover your video content. Great tip. Thank you. Um, so contact us for show topics, suggestions, feedback, all kinds of stuff. Info at reclaimedaudiopodcast.com. Or hit us up on Twitter, at Reclaimed Audio. On iTunes, please leave us a review. It really helps in getting more people to listen to our awesome podcast. And patreon.com slash Reclaimed Audio. We'd really appreciate your support. Um, it, it helps, again, in keeping us on the air and making sure that we're here week in, week out with kick-ass guests like Ben Ueda. Here to drag it. Way to utilize that, Ben. Way to utilize it, pal. That's right. And on that note, I would like to very sincerely thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, Ben. It was uh, it was amazing getting some of your insights and uh, and just getting to spend some time with you. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Have a good week. Bye, everybody. Be good.